0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Hey, holy moly. That was, I feel like the fawns, you know, kicked the jukebox. Anyway. Um, Hey, welcome to the Grove Church today. Um, we are in a series called At The Movies. Today is actually the last in our installment, and we're talking about Monsters, Inc. How many of you guys have seen Monsters, Inc., the movie? Yeah, most of us have. Now, I do want to take a moment, this is a little side note, and say this. Um, what we've done with these movies, I really believe, is a great example for you. Um, like for us with raising kids, a lot of times when we're watching a show or watching a movie, um, there are times at the end of those movies where we'll say, you know, what, what did you think the point was? Or what did you learn from that? Or let's talk about this scene. And to be honest, what we do in this series, I encourage you to do, especially if you're raising kids and they're familiar like, with Monsters, Inc., whatever movies, that you can watch them and take certain teaching moments and enjoy the conversation you know, with your family, with your kids. So I encourage you to do that. But uh, Monsters, Inc. is a fun movie. It's one that my family's enjoyed for a lot of years, and uh, a brief recap, um, by the way, the first few sentences I'm going to read sound a little psychotic, but anyway, um, if you haven't seen it, they sound nuts. Um, in a monster world, cities run on power extracted from the screams of children. Um, scarers are, are, uh, enjoy a career of sneaking into a child's room at night to scare them into screaming as loud and as long as possible because what they do is they bottle up that scream and use it to power their monster city. Um, James Sullivan is the power company's best scarer, and he's got a scare coach, Mike Wazowski. James Sullivan is John Goodman, Mike Wazowski is Billy Crystal, the voice of Billy Crystal. And um, as kids get harder and harder to scare, there's one child that um, kind of attaches himself to, herself to uh, Mike, uh, excuse me, to, to James Sullivan, because James Sullivan is a big, you know, fluffy purple and blue, you know, monster that, that she kind of takes a liking to, a little picture of him right there, and so I know that looks like Steve McKinley, it's okay, it's not, it's, uh, anyway, so that was terrible, terrible inside joke, but anyway, so what happens is, in the movie, that was horrible, and he's sitting right here, so I, anyway, but um what what happens in the movie is that there's a system, you know, there's doors and there's a system where, you know, kids are not allowed to enter the monster world, but that's exactly what happens. And so this kid, you know, gets into the monster world and um and uh according to legend, even the smallest touch from a child can can kill a monster. And so there's this whole misunderstanding and uh in a moment here I want to show I want to show this clip where um you know the, the little kid has entered this monster world and and likes you know, the, uh, uh, Sully. And so he ends up, you know, grabbing the kid and, and going to Mike Wazowski, who's on a date at Harry Housen's, a nice restaurant. And she's all excited about this date. And he shows up with the kid. So we're going to show that scene real quick. So throughout the movie, you, you know, you realize like monsters are afraid of children, as children are of monsters, and and of course it's it's fun and it's crazy and it's uh, it's hilarious. But the tension found in the movie revolves around th- this idea for both kids and monsters alike that when ignorance is rampant, fear reigns. And um, I want to talk about fear today as our topic. Um, and I'm not talking about today the fear of God as in reverence, as in awe, you know, uh, revering the work, power, uh, who God is. But I want to talk about fear in, in the way that it changes our countenance. It changes our interactions. It, it's worry. It's anxiety. It's it's you and I uh, almost shriveling up in personality because we're overcome by circumstances. And I think it's a fear really that, that almost all of us in this room can understand. In Acts chapter 16, I want to look at a story. So if you got a Bible, I always encourage you, and I'll say it again, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles, become familiar with the pages, where these books are at, um, and stuff like that. So if you got a Bible at home, I encourage you to bring it. I know we always show it on the screen, but I um, encourage you to bring your Bible. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to start here in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, The prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. God, today, my prayer For all of us, God, is this conversation about the anxiety that we face, the fears that we face, the things that we worry about, and the ways that, God, we can be so overcome by the circumstances in our lives, God, that it really overshadows our ability to be who you called us to be, to respond appropriately. And And so I pray today for open hearts, for open eyes, God, to some simple things that I think you would remind us of, God, to navigate the fears we face. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I open up, I was talking about Acts 16.25. And in Acts 16.25, it simply says, "...about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. But what I didn't give you is the backstory. And the backstory to this whole situation is they're not around a campfire. They're not enjoying you know, themselves out hanging out with their friends. They're in prison. And the reason they're in prison here is just before this, they had been traveling, preaching the gospel. As the gospel is being preached, lives are being transformed. There's a gal who's following them who keeps yelling in the background, follow these men. Ma- they know the way to be saved, follow these men, they know the way to be saved, but it's not a good thing, it's more of an agitating, something is wrong kind of thing. And so here, here, here's Paul and Silas, and he gets so annoyed or agitated about what she's screaming and how it's going that he turns around and literally rebukes some sort of demonic presence from her. And so what she is is like a kind of a fortune teller, somebody who people go to for you know, almost like a palm reading type of deal. And because he rebukes this demonic presence, she can no longer do what she does. And those that make money off of her and what she does realize They're not gonna make money anymore. So they get all riled up. They stir up a whole crowd of people and, and basically Paul and Silas are dragged away. They're beaten, they're arrested and they're thrown in prison without any trial. So here they are in prison and they're not just in prison. They're in the inner part of the prison which is the worst part and they've got their feet in stock. So they're bound. They can't just walk around or move around even in the prison. They're stuck. And here's their response to all they've experienced. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. So I want to encourage you. This right here sets the stage for this story to play out the way that it does. And, and I want to remind you that for Paul and Silas, what they're doing, if you're if you're following, seems so contrary to what you and I might be doing. I mean, think about like right now, you were dragged out of here, you got beat up and thrown, you're over in the Marysville jail. Like you're sitting there going, What in the world? I don't belong here. What is happening? Why are we going through this? How dare you? You can't do this to me. You'd be so frustrated. But let me ask you this: would you be be praying and would you be singing hymns to God? Because listen, they're as unjustly arrested as you would be. They didn't get a trial, which later on kind of plays out in Acts 16, but they're praying and singing hymns to God. When people disagree with us, when we face situations where life is bad, if pain racks our bodies because they were definitely in pain, how do we respond to situations like that? It says all of a sudden there was an earthquake. And again, this is a God-ordained thing where the foundation is shaken. And it says all the prison doors opened at once. And so there's this miraculous earthquake hits and it says the jailer woke up. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the jailer shouldn't be sleeping. I'm thinking like, wait a minute, it, I think he's kind of missing it here. And so all of a sudden you can imagine like, whoa, what just happened? All the prison doors are open and he freaks out and it says he, he's about to, to do so. It says when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, he very likely knew that if the prisoners were gone, the magistrates would torture him, would punish him, and would possibly kill him. So he wakes up, as he shouldn't have been sleeping, he wakes up thinking everyone's gone, and maybe his thought process was this, I'd rather die quickly with a sword than be tortured by the magistrates who are going to be pretty ticked off that the prisoners are gone. Or maybe the honorable thing to do if the prisoners were gone would be to kill himself. Or Maybe he thought if I kill myself, you know, they'll think the prisoners did it and I won't look bad at all. They'll just think something terrible happened to me. We don't know the thought process, but here's what we know. Life was so bad in this moment and fear was so gripping in his heart that he thought my life is over. Now, I bring that up because I want to bring it right home to you and to me. There are circumstances that you and I face that all of a sudden we feel like, you know what, my life is over. I got fired from this job. My spouse walked out. The doctor says they want to meet him. There's all kinds of things that we face where we feel like, you know what, my life is over. And I want to encourage you with something. Years ago, I heard an acronym for the word fear that I think is worth writing down. If you're taking notes inside your program, there's a white sheet there. You can write it there. The the acronym for fear, and I've always appreciated this, false expectations appearing real. And to me, the the simple idea when you think about a fear that's unjustified like this jailer assuming the prisoners are all gone and he's in huge trouble, he has this fear that grips him and it's the expectation of what's going to be that all of a sudden appears so very real right in front of him. And for you and I, Listen, it's easy for you and I to look back on moments of our lives where we've thought, you know what, my life is over. Things are not going to ever be good again. How will life ever get better from here? I think about young people and some of the things that, that you and I had faced years ago and some of you that are still currently young people. When you fail a test or you fail a class, and, and all of a sudden you're gripped by, oh no, what are my parents gonna do? Or I should have, you know, got this grade, and you're, you're, you, know, you, you don't make a sports team, even though you felt like you had the goods, and maybe your tryouts didn't go as well as you wanted, and you feel like an absolute failure. Or the guy or the girl that you're dating breaks your heart, or you're not accepted to the college, the university you wanted to go to, or maybe you got in your first car accident, or You lost your first job, or maybe somebody's been bullying you. In the world that we live in, all of these examples, it can be really hard for some of us to think back to when we were 15, 16, 17, 18. But if you can remember back at all, some of you might recall moments like this where you felt like, it's never going to get better from here. My life is absolutely over, and I want to encourage you that there's another portion of the story you need to hold on to. As adults, as I said, it's the firing from a job or the spouse that says they don't love us or the struggle to pay bills or the doctor issue or or, or on and on and on and on we go. And life isn't what we thought it was supposed to be. And we spin into a depression or we, we face those moments where our mind isn't, I'm going to get through this, but our mind is, how will I ever get through this? When will it ever change? Is it going to get better? Is there an end to this? And, and if it doesn't play out in any way, good, we continue down that path where some people think drastic thoughts. And it involves, similar to the jailer, becoming afraid and being drastic at the point that those things hit us like a freight train, our minds get scrambled. We become afraid. We begin to think drastic thoughts, and and it's like the jailer. What happens is we consider doing something or taking part in something that we would never even entertain when things were going well. We would never even consider when days were better. But all of a sudden, here we are and we can't get our mind off of those things. And one of the dangers is we fall prey to how does the world operate? What would the world do? What do people normally do? And even as I said last week, we've got to be careful in these moments where our mind is scrambled and we're gripped by, oh no, and there's an anxiety and a worry. We've got to be careful of not falling prey to what would the world do? What what do I see around me? And we've got to go back to, and in this story, that's what happens. We've got to go back to what's true. Fear causes us to act in ways that we shouldn't act. Anxiety and worry causes us to to, to process things in ways that we wouldn't normally process. In In the reading plan that we've got, there's available in the lobby there, and we have it on our website as well, but a couple of days ago in Galatians chapter 2, there's even a story where it's funny because I love how the Bible gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly in scripture. And in Galatians, Paul has written a a letter to the churches in the region of Galatia because what's happened is they've received their freedom in Christ and they realize the power of the gospel to live free, not bound by the law, but then individuals called Judaizers come in and tell them, oh, you're free in Christ, but you still have to obey the law. And so there's this weird tension that's all throughout the book of Galatians when you read it in scripture. Paul's writing this saying, you're free in Christ. And then he brings a story up that you would never think would be true. The apostle Paul brings up a story about the apostle Peter, and it says this, Galatians 2 verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, okay? James and Peter came from a Jewish descent where, like I said, Judaizers are saying, you got to follow the law, And you're free in Christ. It's a both and. And Paul is saying, no stinking way. It says, but when they arrived, he began to draw back from the Gentiles and separate himself because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So there's this whole story where Peter is, is is acting in fear because of the separation between Jews and Gentiles. Once a bunch of Jews show up that have some authority, he's afraid of what they're going to think because he's intermingled with Gentiles. And he pulls away from them, and Paul's like, you can't do that. What that means is you're trying to live according to a code that's no longer in existence because of Christ. And what happens is this. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... I basically confronted Peter. And I want to encourage you going back to when you and I face fear that sends us spinning, this is one of the values of having people who can speak into our lives. That when the job comes to an end and we didn't see it coming, that when the doctor says, let's meet in person, when not making the team isn't the end, that we challenge individuals, listen, you're going to get through this. Yes, there are better days ahead. I'm with you in this mess. Who is there in your life to tell you when your head is spinning, this isn't the end? Because we all need those people. Can I hear an amen? amen. We all need people that when our head is in a bad spot to go, you are going to get through this. There are other options. We are going to fight. Don't give and I know all of those seem like platitudes. And when you're in a dark spot, there's nothing worse than somebody going, don't worry, there's better days ahead. And I get that. But we all need people in our corner when we face dark seasons. And so here, it's, it's a reminder. It, by the way, have you ever noticed that, that when you know, somebody's in a bad spot, they've been fired, the spouse has said we're done, whatever, we don't go to them and go, yeah, you know what, this is really rough, and yeah, your life basically is over. We <laughs> don't say, yeah, you know what, I'm pretty sure the rest of your days are just going to be lived out in hopelessness, sorry. We'd never say that, and listen to me, it's not that we don't say that because it would be the wrong thing to say, it would be, but because we don't believe it. There's something in our core that that we believe, listen, somehow you're going to get through this. Somehow there's something better on the other side. Somehow you're gonna navigate this, but I'm not gonna let you do it alone. If you look at the the story in Acts chapter 16, I want you to notice, it says, at once the doors flew open, everyone's chains came loose, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. How many of you in the life that you live need somebody to scream at you sometimes? Don't do it. Don't harm yourself. Don't go down that path. Don't think those thoughts. Don't connect in, in, in that, that relationship. going to Don't go there just because you're in a bad spot. Everybody say it. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Come on. That's where don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer almost did something drastic based on bad information. He couldn't see straight. When you and I face those moments, we can't see straight. And we need somebody. And I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is crying out in your heart in those moments, don't harm yourself. I'm here. And there needs to be people in our lives that are in that moment crying out, don't harm yourself. I'm here. Who is that for you? Who in your life is there that when the crisis hits, you can make the phone call? That when things go south, you can show up on the doorstep any time of day or night? That that, that when the world gets dark, there's somebody that can pull you into the light because you desperately need it. Who is that for you? Because we all need those people. Yes, I believe in the power of God. Yes, I believe in the work of the Spirit. Yes, I believe we're called to pray and lean into him. Absolutely. But I also believe he sends us people to help carry those burdens along with us. Because that's biblical. Who is it for you? And if you're drawing a blank, I'm warning you. Find those people. Get them in your life figure out where they could be and how you can make a call and build a bridge so you can lean on them when things get rough because we all need it. Can I hear an amen? It's another portion of of who we are as a church. We say all the time that that we have our code on our wall. We talk about our values, and that's great. But we say it simply this way. Our vision for the Grove Church is love God, connect with each other, serve all. That we desperately want you to realize that God cares like crazy about you, and he wants you to respond. He wants you to acknowledge his love for you through the work of Christ. And as we gather, worship, and sing, the the words aren't just words to music. They're supposed to be truth that, that impacts how we live, love God. But then we can never forget connect with each other. As we navigate into fall, you're going to hear a little more about some men's and women's environments that we're developing, that we want to continue to build those bridges and help you be connected to one another. But it's also why we value life groups so much that we want you to gather in individuals' homes. There's, you know, eight or 10 or 12 or 14 individuals and and you're there having conversations about scripture and you're there and you're, you're just sharing life and you're there and you're grabbing some snacks and you're there and you're able to pray with each other and navigate life together. Once again, you need that. And if you're not in a life group, in a few weeks you're gonna hear about getting signed up and getting dialed into groups, take a step. If you haven't done, take a step. And you may go, oh, I, the group thing, whatever, and it was kind of a didn't really go, I didn't really like, and you know, I would encourage you, similar to, just because you get a bad haircut doesn't mean you quit getting your haircut. It just means you go to a different person. I gotta find someone else, okay? And I would say the same thing. I know that's lighthearted, but I mean it. If you've been in a group and you go, I don't know, I didn't care for that, go to, find another group leader, get connected into a group where you resonate and where you can learn and grow together. Because you're not meant to do it alone. Keep in mind, Paul and Silas are thrashed. I mean, they're beat. They've been bleeding. They're hurting pretty bad. They're in the worst place in the jail. They're in stocks. And yet here they are, and they're singing and praying to God. And that's where it's, I mean, the jailer's looking at them, and they cry out, don't harm yourselves. We're all here. And it says that the jailer ran to them trembling. And knelt before Paul and Silas. He listened. He realized in that moment, I'm not seeing right. And one of the most difficult things for you and me when we're in that dark moment, when we're facing that uphill, when things seem so terrible, is it's so hard to hear what other people are saying. Imagine if he didn't hear. Imagine if he was so inundated with him about to plunge a sword through himself. How easy would it be to hear somebody saying, don't do it, we're all here. You can't hardly hear it, you're ringing, you're probably getting tunnel vision. Your heart's racing and you're about to end everything. Thank God he heard. Don't do it. It's a reminder for all of us. Don't. Don't think that that bottle has the answer. It may numb it for a bit, but you're only creating another problem. Don't think that jumping to another relationship quickly because somebody gave you the eyeballs is the right answer because you feel lonely. Just because you have a bottle of pills at home that would make everything go away doesn't mean you should. It's on and on and on. Don't do it and you've got to hear. says that the jailer heard and he realized he wasn't. How many of us Would literally go, you know what? I remember 10 years ago when I faced, and I thank God somebody said, don't do it. How many of us would go back 20 years or even 30 or 40? Remember back when things were so dark, and you look at life now and go, thank God I didn't follow through. It's a reminder for all of us. Listen to that. Don't do it. Amen. Thank you, Sully. That's Steve McKinley. (laughs) It says, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Listen to this. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you go, well, how did he even know? You know how he knew? Because the, the beginning of the story set the table. They were already worshiping and praying. They had something the jailer clearly needed. How many of us live in a way that people around you would go, what is it that you have? How many of us would say that our neighbors could go, I don't know how you do that, but how do you do that? How can you be so patient? How can you be confident? How can you have peace? How can there be joy in all that you're, how is this possible? Are you and I living in a way that others can go, what is that about you? There is nothing more fun than when somebody goes, how did you do it that way? Because I would have done this or this or this. And it would have included a lot of four-letter words, punching walls and driving away mad. I, I, was, I, I was at the gym a couple of weeks ago, and we were doing box jumps, and, and I missed. And when you miss on a box jump, you rake your shin on the box, and it hurts like crazy. And all you, I mean, you feel like, ah, beep, 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 you know what I mean? You, 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 and you're like, did he just say that? Okay, anyway, you feel that way. But I didn't do that. I'm like, oh, mama, that hurt. And somebody next to me was like, how did you not swear? I'm not kidding. And it's that whole thing of like, well, you know who I am. You know what I do. I'm just not about, God has something different. I don't, I used to, used to be all the time, every other word out of my mouth when I was at peace, like, hey, man, what the blank's going on? I mean, maybe you don't like (laughs) to, I just used to, I wasn't a follower of Christ and every other word, I just toss it in there just like everybody else. But as God has worked in me, I don't have to live just doing what everybody else would do. And it's not, I'm better than them. It's just, I don't feel great about throwing that stuff out there. I don't think it's great. So there I was just a couple of weeks ago, man, it was not fun. And yet it's amazing when somebody goes, how did you not swear? They replied. They replied. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. See, those seeing clearly were able to lead the guy into truth and hope and life. And by the way, that's the message of the gospel that for you and me, there's all kinds of messes in our world and all kinds of issues with sin, and that's a problem because the things that we do wrong separate us from a holy God. But the gospel message, even as the jailer needed it, is that Jesus Christ cared so much about you and I that he went to the cross, that he paid the price for your sin, that he set you free from the law, that he gives you life eternally because he rose from the dead. Is anybody as excited about that as I am? That's the good news. And if you're here today and you've never heard that or you've heard it before and you kind of go, whatever, that's where we find peace. That's where we find hope. That's where we find forgiveness. That's where we find life. And if you don't have it, you need it. And I believe inviting Jesus into your world is the best decision you could ever make. It's a decision I made 26 years ago. It's a decision a lot of people in here have made. And if you haven't drawn the line in the sand and invited Jesus to forgive your sins, I would challenge you to take that step today. In fact, I'm actually going to pause the message, and I'm going to say this. If you're here today, and and you know that there's sin in your life, and you know that you've been doing your own thing, going your own way, whatever that is, and you go, you know what, I need a fresh start today. I need to invite Jesus into my life. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to have the kind of peace. I want to have the kind of hope. I want to have the kind of joy that I see in this story right here. If that's you and you need that, and maybe you've invited Jesus in some time back and you just continue to do your own thing, or maybe you've never taken that step before. If you're in here with every eye open, with every head out and eyes looking everywhere, I'm going to challenge you on the count of three just to raise your hand and say, I want a fresh start. I want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to be saved from my sin, similar to the story of the jailer. If that's you on the count of three, just raise your hands. One, two, three. Where are you at? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anybody else? You can put your hands down. Anybody else besides those seven say, I want life in Christ. Anybody else? Awesome. Would you do me a favor if you raised your hand? Pray with us. And if you've prayed this prayer before, just pray with us. Just say, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done so I can be forgiven. Forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my life. Be my savior from my own mess. Be the Lord that I can follow you each day. Thank you for a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a hand to those seven people for starters. Now, I want to say two things and then I got to get, get done here and get off the stage. But, um, I want to say this. One of the things when we talk about anxiety, worry, all this stuff that can grip us and cause us to get in a funk, it's not that we don't face those things as followers of Christ. And I, I, for some reason, it seems like people are surprised sometimes by like, well, I'm following Jesus. Why are things still bad? And, and it's not some promise that things are never bad because how many of us in here would admit things are still bad sometimes? Just raise your hand. Okay. Look around. See most of us going, uh huh. Because things are tough. If you read the Psalms, once again, we're in the Psalms, in the reading plan. If you read the Psalms, there are Psalms that say, God is amazing. God is good. I trust God. And there are Psalms that say, life is hard and God is still good. And there are Psalms that say, God, where are you? And God, what are you doing? And God, why are you doing it? And God, why does nobody care about me? And why are my attackers prevailing? And why does it seem like you're judging me and my world is empty? And I bring all that up because I don't want us to get the picture that in a message like this, it means that we don't face anxiety that we don't face fear, that that we don't deal with with worry and, and, and lose sleep at times. But what we're called to do is turn to where we find hope. And that is inviting Jesus, even as we sang earlier about the name of Jesus in the midst of all that we face. It's a battle all the time, but we continue to fight that battle. And I can confess to you, just like many in here would, that there are times where it seems like, okay, God, help me here. And it seems like sometimes it doesn't work at all. And other times we say it and we feel a sense of peace, and sometimes five minutes later, we're back in turmoil. But we continue to fight. We continue to stand strong. We continue to to believe the truth in the midst of the darkness. Years ago, I'd say to someone, you know, don't, don't, don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown us in the light. And it's a great reminder for us. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his household were baptized. If you saw in the announcement video a little bit ago, Baptism Sunday is coming up September 16. And if you've given your life to faith in Christ, maybe one of the seven people, raise your hands. If you haven't been water baptized, that's your next step. I want to encourage you, put it on the communication card today before we hand those in in a little bit. Inside the program is that communication card. Write it on, I need to get baptized. Immediately they were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. From moments before, considering ending everything because he wasn't seeing correctly. From, from an individual who stepped in and said, don't do it, to then receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, to being baptized, to sharing a meal together, and all of a sudden he has joy, and it's not because his life was spared, and he didn't end it. I'm sure that's part of the equation of how it played out, but it says specifically, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. And that's my prayer for all of us. See, I want you to be reminded, and in Monsters, Inc., what we find out is the truth alleviates fear. That in the movie, we learn that kids aren't poisonous, even though some people in here still believe that. Anyway, anyway. As it wraps up, we learn that kids aren't poisonous and monsters making kids laugh generates more energy than screams. In Monsters, Inc., in the movie, that truth alleviates fear. But for the jailer in Acts 16, the truth alleviated his fear, dealt with it. And the truth that God's love reached him was transformational. So I want to read for you and then I'm done a reminder out of 1 John 4, and I want you to write that down as some verses that you need to know. 1 John 4, 16 through 18. I'm gonna read the message version. It says, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear because well-informed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. God, today, I pray in all of our hearts, truth would prevail. I pray for some that have entertained even recently and maybe today drastic decisions that God, you'd pour out truth into them, that your spirit would resonate inside of them, God, that you have something more. It's just navigating through a dark season. And I pray for some of us that we've been battle-tested and we face things that have caused loss of sleep and there's been anxiety and we we go through all of what we've had to go through in that dark season and yet we've come through battle-tested. God, I pray that you would help our story encourage other people that are in the middle of whatever it is they're facing. God, we're in this together, that we care together, that we work through your steps, through your spirit and your truth together. Thank you for your truth that says don't do it. We are all here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.